So all this week, we played a repeat of our 2019 podcast series, This is California, the Battle of 187. Fascinating history, right? A successful state proposition that demonized undocumented immigrants, but also radicalized a generation of Latinos. Gee, that sounds familiar. And in the two years since the series was released, Prop 187 has continued to influence California and national politics. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's July 23, 2021. The COVID-19 surge continues. Los Angeles County is averaging nine times more new coronavirus cases than it was a month ago. Argentina becomes the first country in Latin America to offer gender-neutral IDs. And the Olympics start today, but without the opening ceremony's director, who was fired over a Holocaust joke. Homeboy was obviously no Mel Brooks. Today, the conclusion of our Battle of 187 week, we check in with a Prop 187 generation that's now all over Capitol Hill. People like U.S. Senator Alex Padilla, staffers, Congress members, activists. As they approach middle age, a question is going around amongst them. What's going to be the next 187 moment that galvanizes Latinos and makes them enter politics in ways they've never had before? The battle against Proposition 187 was a monumental change in California history. The 1994 ballot initiative prohibited undocumented immigrants from using public services like education and healthcare and required public employees to turn in people that they suspected were here in this country illegally. Yeah, people were going to get upset about that, and they did. Conservatives turned into liberals. Apathetic people got motivated, and Latinos in California finally truly found their political voice. My LA Times colleague Sarah D. Wire recently spoke to some of the members of the Prop 187 generation that are now in Washington, D.C. Sarah, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. What are the numbers right now of Latinos in California's congressional delegation? Overall, the number of Latinos in Congress has risen dramatically in the last 27 years. And in part, that's because of the California members who took the responsibility to diversify Congress to prevent something like 187 from happening again. And a lot of them came of age or had their political awakening because of Prop 187, right? Remember, 187 was deliberately targeting the Latino community, or at least that's how it felt to a lot of people. People didn't see it as an attack on just illegal immigrants, but an attack on all Latinos. L.A. saw its largest protest since the Vietnam War. Thousands of middle and high school age students walked out of class. Even the younger members of Congress I speak with who were perhaps in elementary school when 187 passed uh, say they remember speaking about it with their family members and they remember how upset and affected they were by it. It was a moment, but it was a different road I was on. One of them that really stood out was Raul Ruiz. He represents California's 36th congressional district which is way out in the Coachella Valley. And he was studying to be a doctor back in 1994 and had no plans to enter politics. Did it inspire me to get more engaged? Hell yeah. Did it uh, move me to see the interconnectedness between policy and healthcare for all communities? Absolutely. Did it leave a strong impression that in order to address our community's health, I needed to address policy? Yes. Congressmember Ruiz was talking to you, Sarah, from D.C. What did he do to protest Prop 187? You know, he was already a student activist, but he helped organize the protests. And his main reason for getting involved was what it would mean for health care. You know, among a lot of things, 187 prohibited undocumented people from accessing emergency rooms or public health clinics. 
Ruiz worried that people wouldn't get their children vaccinated or wouldn't seek treatment for contagious diseases like tuberculosis because they feared deportation. Proposition 187 sparked massive protests, massive rallies that I helped organize and participated in with a public health healthcare approach, knowing that my mission was always to fight for health and social justice, health equity for our communities, and knowing very well back then that Proposition 187 was going to lead to more unnecessary pain, suffering, and death by immigrants who were working hard and who wanted nothing more than to contribute to our country and give their children uh, opportunities they never had in a better life. It got him thinking about policy, and it shaped the path he took. Uh, He became an emergency room physician like he planned, but he also earned master's degrees in public policy and public health. Ironically, when he did decide to run for Congress, Prop 187 was there to help him again. In my first race, my opponent took a picture with Pete Wilson. And so we utilized that picture in the Hispanic communities, and it definitely, you know, motivated and reminded people what we're up against. He was talking about former California Governor Pete Wilson, and Wilson won his re-election campaign in 1994 mostly by championing 187. And because of that, though, he's still hated by Latinos in California. And Ruiz wasn't the only person who had their entire life, their entire career changed because of Prop 187, right? No, and that was really the thing that stood out. You know, one member told me he was thinking of becoming a Republican at the time. Lou Correa, yeah. <laughs> he even had the voter registration card filled out and ready to drop off. But he, he couldn't find it within himself to support the party anymore after Prop 187. Uh, to this day, he likes to uh, point out to his Republican colleagues that they lost a Republican and not just him. Um, you know, I spoke to other members who abandoned in career plans, um, you know, people who became citizens or help their loved ones become citizens. Uh, you know, one member I spoke to said, you know, his mother became a citizen because of 187. His sister became a citizen because of Donald Trump. Damn. The many, many stories like that, which you could hear, of course, in This is California, the Battle of 187. We'll be right back. Sarah, you were telling us about California's infamous Proposition 187 continues to play a role in Washington, D.C. Fast forward to many, many years after it passed in 1994, and we're still emerging from the Donald Trump years. You know, the president who said in his first campaign speech that Mexico isn't sending its best people up to the United States. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what we're getting. Kind of sounds like 187 rhetoric to me, but also the Congress members you spoke to. Several members I spoke with said they heard echoes of 187 and Trump's policy and rhetoric. Um, And that rage and frustration bubbled back at the knowledge that almost 30 years later, an audience still existed for what he was saying. Someone like Congressman Tony Cardenas, who represents parts of the San Fernando Valley, he was pretty upset by what he heard, right? Yeah, I mean, he said that, uh, you know, the people from California knew immediately that Donald Trump was going to be the Pete Wilson for the country. The former California governor who championed 187, running campaign ads of shadowy undocumented immigrants coming into the United States with a voice saying, they keep coming. Those of us who lived through that 187 year, the moment Trump and his supporters start talking, we're like, yep, this is another Wilson. Yeah, and I think 
part of them were su surprised that it worked, and a big part of them wasn't surprised that it worked. And they really saw that this was a chance for the rest of the country to, to you know, maybe see the Republican Party the way that they did. And the hope being then that you have another generation of Latinos galvanized and more and more of them ran in 2018 and 2020. Myself and other colleagues at the times, we did stories, especially younger people in places like California Central Valley and the Coachella Valley, where uh, Congressman Raul Ruiz represents. And you talk to those and they said they were inspired by Bernie Sanders, the whole progressive revolution, but also inspired by their revulsion of Trump's rhetoric. On the other hand, though, this is the interesting part. Trump actually gained more Latino voters in 2020 from his 2016 results. In 2022, do you think that 187 scenario is going to play out? It's too soon to tell. You know, the members of Congress and the experts I talked to both really stressed that it took a decade of really hard work by Latino activists in California to mobilize an entire generation of voters to register to vote, to take their citizenship tests, to run for office. Now there's early evidence from the 2020 election that, you know, Democrats are making a similar effort. Younger Latinos registered at higher numbers than ever before, and they, they provided Biden with a cushion in several key states. You know, experts and members of Congress pointed to two things, that this election was about the economy rather than about immigration, and that they might have different priorities. For a lot of national politics watchers, 2020 drove home that the Latino vote isn't just a block that people can count on to vote for Democrats. Were the circumstances so unique to 187 in California that something like this will probably never happen again? The circumstances were unique. You know, the outpouring opposition was that a lot of Latinos saw this as not just an attack on people in the country legally, but the Republican Party saying any person with brown skin didn't belong. Some of the members I spoke to said, you know, Trump didn't just defend Mexicans or other Latinos. He pissed off women, Muslims, immigrants of all kinds. And they're seeing mobilization all over, not just one group of people. And they want to solidify in people's heads that Democrats support them, Republicans don't. But again, that, that's not guaranteed. You know, all that work that Latino activists put in to energize Latino voters in California, you know, it's not guaranteed that either party can uh, get that group to do it again. Um, you know, within a decade in California, Republicans essentially lost all power. Only one Republican governor was elected since then, and he went on a recall. Democrats have had supermajorities in Sacramento repeatedly. So in some ways, the, the post-Trump presidency is a pivotal moment for Democrats. If, if people don't see that Democrats can deliver, especially on something like fixing immigration, there's a chance that that energy dissipates and people get turned off from politics, kind of wonder why they should get involved at all. And that's why you see such a big push for immigration reforms by both activists and officials, especially members of California's delegation. One of the things that people are always surprised by Prop 187 was that a quarter of Latinos voted for 187. So obviously it's a tiny, you know, it's a quarter. 75% of Latinos voted against 187, but still 25 voted for. So there are Latino Republicans then, and especially now. How have they been influenced then by 187? There are several California Latino members of Congress. None of them were interested in talking about it when I asked whether 187 had been an inspiration for them. I couldn't get a single one of them on the phone. But in some ways, you know, the split in California represents the split nationally that, uh, you know, the members of Congress and experts have warned about. That, you know, for example, the members who represent the Central Valley are more likely to have Portuguese ancestry, not Mexican. And they've been in the United States for generations. Just like, you know, 
some Latinos in Texas and New Mexico have been here since, you know, before either of those states were part of the United States. So they, they might not relate to 187 the same way. You know, one member of Congress said that to me, that, you know, there's not a unifying experience that represents the Latino experience in the United States. Yeah, David Valadao and David Nunes, they're the ones of Portuguese ancestry in the Central Valley. Their families have been in the U.S. for a couple of generations now and are long removed from their ancestral countries. And meanwhile, people like Alex Padilla uh, are the children of immigrants. Lu Correa, I ran into him at a retirement party for a judge recently, and he had just returned from Zacatecas, the Mexican state where both of our families came from. 187 for them was a direct target at them, whereas if you're here three or four generations like Valadao and Nunes, well, it doesn't matter for them. It's like, like, it doesn't matter to me. We're American citizens already and can't really relate to New York Latinos. Exactly. I mean, Alex Padilla, for example, is the first child of Mexican immigrants to ever serve in the U.S. Senate. Now, he's told me that that, that carries a real weight for him to, to be a voice for people who are going through the same, who have a similar life experience to him. Conversely, you have, say, Cuban members of Congress who are refugees themselves or the children of refugees and they're complete Republicans. They do not mind Trump's rhetoric at all. Someone like Marco Rubio, for instance. So in many ways, 187 was not just a unique Latino experience, but really a unique Mexican-American experience. Exactly. And so that's one of the reasons that the members of the California delegation weren't so sure that it could translate to a national uh, you know, revitalization. So as someone who's not from California and works back east, what did you think when you first heard about the influence of Proposition 187 on California politics? I'm always fascinated by the ties that bind in politics. Uh, my favorite part of the job is explaining to readers that politicians are humans. <laughs> um, I'm fascinated by how many people were connected by a single event, despite not even knowing each other, and how a single proposition still resonates in who serves in Congress today. Thank you so much for this interview, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, Daily News from the LA Times, and that's the end of Battle of 187 Week. And next week, Drought Week, another special series of episodes because drought. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn and Denise Guerra. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Lauren Rabb and Shawnee Hilton. Our intern is Ashley Brown. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news and desmadre. Gracias. <laughs>